study that we're doing on grace. I want to continue today. And uh, Beth, it might seem like I've chosen this just because of your prayer requests. Well, but uh, God works that out, that's it? not a bad thing necessarily. <laughs> the um, you know we've taken grace and, and we've looked at it from several different viewpoints, three different viewpoints so far. And uh, Peter talks about the many faceted grace of God, and a facet is where you, you take something and you hold it and you look at it in different ways, and every way you look at it, it looks a little bit different. And uh, grace is that way. You know, we believe in grace. We believe that we are saved by grace alone. But not only are we saved by grace, we also live by grace. Uh, we walk by grace. And it's, it's an incredible thing to, to understand and live in grace. And this morning, I want us to, to move into uh, Paul's experience with grace when he has the thorn in the flesh. It's a passage that, that you're familiar with, uh, but I, I want to read it for you, and, and then we're going to look at it. It's 2 Corinthians 12, beginning with verse 1, and Paul says, Boasting is necessary, though it's not profitable. We're going to talk about what he was boasting about in a second. Boasting is necessary, though it's not profitable, but I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, and the man he knows is himself, and that becomes clear as, as you read it. And so I don't know exactly how it happened, whether it was in the body or out of the body, but God knows, but this man was caught up to the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. On behalf of such a man I will boast. On my own behalf I will not boast, except in regard to my weaknesses. For if I do wish to boast, I would not be foolish, for I will be speaking the truth. But I refrain from this so that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations... For this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. You know, when, when I read those ten verses, they're, to me, and, and probably to you too, there are three words that just simply pop out of that passage, and I look at it, and, and I say, well, okay, so what do those mean? What, what is that about? Uh, and these, these three words are, first of all, revelations. Paul talks about being caught up into the third heaven. He talks about seeing things and hearing things that is totally inexpressible for him to repeat. In other words, he saw things that he just cannot repeat. Uh, 
when he was in his revelations. Then he talks about thorns. He says, uh, I was given a thorn in the flesh, and I prayed for God to take them away. I prayed for an answer from God. Uh, And then he talks about grace and the power of grace. And, And the word that he uses there for power is the word that describes a thunderstorm. Have you ever seen the thunderstorm and the power that's in a thunderstorm? Paul says that's the picture of grace and the power. And God says to him, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is enough power for you. Because when you're weak, then you're strong. He starts it by saying boasting is necessary. And he's boasting because of the accusations that the Corinthians have made against him. Uh, And if you read through them, you see what the different uh, accusations are. But if you go back to chapter 11, he he defends himself. He just talks about being a servant in Christ. He He says, I speak as if I'm insane. I more so, in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor, hardships, through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and an exposure. Now you think, he's bragging? He calls that boasting? You know, he's boasting about what he has handled, what he's been able to handle, what he has done uh, in, in, in uh, his service for the Lord. And then in chapter 12, he says, he says that boasting is necessary. And then he goes on and talks about the revelations. He says, I know a man in Christ, and we, we talked about that. And he talks about those revelations that he received from God. And then in verse 7, he says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Now I said that about Beth a minute ago and, and Drew and, and others, uh, because there's something sticking in your flesh. There's something sticking there that's, that you're saying, why is this happening? What, what's going on here? How can I be uh, uh, of, of help? How can I be a minister to them? How can I be a blessing to, to these kids? How can I stand for righteousness? You know, people have limitations. People have thorns. People have things that come upon them and they, they don't understand. You know, that it can come from our employment. Uh, I got a text this morning from my friend J.T., uh, those of you who are, are on Wednesday night know that uh, I've mentioned J.T. a couple of times. He's a professor at the seminary. Uh, I taught with him in, in a lot of classes over the last four or five years. Uh, and he was diagnosed in December with, with cancer, with kidney cancer. Um, and he's been undergoing treatment. And, and I talked to him a week or so ago, and his pain was so great. His pain was so great 
that he said, I can't even lift my head. He says, he says, when I walk, I just have to have to look at the ground because if I lift my uh, head, it, it, the pain is, is, is too great. And uh, this morning he sent me an email or sent me a text and he said, I'm in the hospital. They're going to do surgery this week. Uh, it's a major surgery. When Jennifer read the text, she said, no kidding, it's a major surgery. Uh, and uh, he and I talked about this passage just briefly, you know, as briefly as you can talk about it on text. Uh, I, I, said, I said, you're dealing with a thorn, JT. That's what I'm preaching about this morning. I'm dealing with a thorn with my back. And, and my prayer is that God's grace will be sufficient for both of us, whether we're victorious or whether we're not victorious. You know, God's grace is sufficient. Uh, and Paul had some limitations. He called them a thorn. And you know, I've never known anybody for very long that you get to know very well that you realize doesn't have a thorn of some kind. They have something pressing on them. There, there's something that uh, is, is happening in their life that torments them. But a thorn doesn't have to incapacitate us because life is filled with people, with unsung heroes who jumped the hurdles, who, who overcame their thorns, and one finished the race victoriously. You know, if anyone had a reason to give up, it was. Uh, it would have been Lance Armstrong. Now, I know that Lance got in trouble at the end of his career, but uh, when he was a young man, 24 years old, in 1996, as he was climbing the the bike racing uh, to number one ranking, is actually he was number one. He was diagnosed with cancer. A testicular cancer that had metastasized and spread to his lungs and his brains. Very few people expected him to survive. Uh, yet, he did survive, and three years later, in the summer of 1999, he went on to win the most prestigious bicycle race in the world, the Tour de France. Uh, Cynics called that a fluke because some of the best cyclists in the, race, in the world set out that race that year, and few believed that he could win it again the next year with all the top racers back in, but he won again the next year and the next year. He won three years in a row. Uh, in interviews, in the best-selling book that he wrote, It's Not About My Bike, Armstrong has repeatedly stated that after what had been his greatest adversary, the cancer, it became his advantage because he lost 40 pounds, he bulked up, he was leaner than before, and his thorn became something that was beneficial for him. Michael Jordan may have a lot to boast about. I want you to hear what he says. I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. You, know, you, you think about the number of shots he's made. 
but he says, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I have lost almost 300 games. On 26 occasions, I have been entrusted by my team to take the game-winning shot and missed. I have failed over and over and over and over again in my life. But that's why I succeed. Because he keeps at it. He keeps at it. You've all heard of Louis Pasteur, a fine scientist who started many of the things we understand about modern science. When he was 46 years old, he had a stroke and was left a paralytic. But he continued to work, and many of the things we, we know about modern science came after that stroke. Do you remember Heather Whitestone? She was Miss America in 1984. Totally deaf. All of her life, she was deaf. And she rose through the ranks to become Miss America. When I was a kid, there was a a track star by the name of Wilma Rudolph. I can still remember her. I can remember the way she ran. She she, uh, won Olympic goals, three gold medals, and won Olympics. And, uh, you know, she was amazing. And I didn't know it at the time, but later reading about her, I discovered that she had overcome polio, scarlet fever, and pneumonia when she was a kid. And had overcome those to be a three-time gold medal winner in the Olympics. You know that Beethoven, when he wrote all of his music, or the last parts of his music, was deaf. Can you imagine? Put his head on the piano so he could feel the vibration of the notes because he couldn't hear them. And so we just begin to discover that people all over the world, people all through time, all through history, um, have struggled with handicaps but have overcome them. And Paul says, I struggled with a handicap and I overcome that handicap. He says, I was caught up into the third heaven as marvelous as that was at the moment of his greatest exaltation to have an experience like that would just be uh, out of this world, literally out of this world. But it became for him a moment of his greatest humiliation. He is handicapped. He's given a thorn in the flesh in verse 7. The thorn, and, and uh, JT said this morning, I think it's that thorn is one of those big four-inch thorns that they find in Palestine. Uh, but really, the word isn't even thorn in the Greek. The, the word is a stake. He said, I felt a stake driven in to my flesh like it's twisting in me and bringing me this torment. And, and as I think about those words and I think about myself and, 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 and you, how it is with you, maybe you have one of those thorns. Maybe you have a, what feels like a tent stake and the agony that uh, just seems to want to drag you down. And you want to pray to God and ask Him to remove it. Well, what was Paul's thorn? Nobody knows. Nobody has a clue. Well, no, people have a clue, but nobody knows. Uh, if he was like some of us, 
everybody would know what his thorn was. Uh, all of you know how bad my back hurts. Uh, all of you know, uh, you know, the, the thorns that we have. You know, but Paul didn't, didn't uh, he, he writes letter after letter after letter, and he never tells us what that thorn is. What do you think it, it might have been? You know, Roman Catholics say that it was a spiritual thorn, uh, maybe a temptation of some kind. Maybe he had a doubt that he, he couldn't get rid of. Some say that his thorn were the persecutions and the oppositions, like the ones he got from the Corinthians. And, and he said, God, if you would just get rid of those persecutions and get rid of those oppositions, this life would be great. Others say, no, it couldn't be those things because it's a thorn in the flesh. You know, some think that maybe he was just ugly. And Paul said, my thorn is I'm just an ugly guy. And, and, and it's, not without, it's not just guessing that he says that. Because uh, in 2 Corinthians, writing to them, he says, my appearance is ugly. It's translated as unimpressive. My appearance is unimpressive. It's in chapter 10, verse 10. They say his letters are brawny and potent, but in person he's a weakling and he mumbles when he talks. That's the, out of the message, the translation of the message. There are some people who think his thorn was malaria uh, because we know that he got sick at the southern end of the Atlas Mountains in Asia Minor in the marshy lands that are there, and he almost postponed his missionary journey. Uh, and they think that the reason is because he got malaria. And you know that once you get malaria, especially back then, once you get malaria, it just kind of hangs around and comes back, uh, reoccurs. There's some who think that Paul had epilepsy. In Galatians 4, he says, and that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. Now, in English, that's pretty uh, uh, benign. But uh, let, me, let me tell you what the word is when he says you did not despise or loathe. The Greek word is ude exputusate. Does that sound like anything to you? Expusate? Sound like sputum? He said, when I was there, you did not spit at me. And the reason they think it's epilepsy is because in the ancient world, they thought that seizures were caused by demonic spirits. And one of the ways you keep evil spirits away was to spit at the person who had it. And so... Some people think that Paul had epileptic fits at times. Both Tertullian and Jerome, who were early Christian writers, believed that Paul suffered from severe and prostrating headaches. In other words, he had migraines. And they kept him back. Some think it was eye trouble. In conversation, uh, in conversion, when he was saved, he was blinded by the lights and the scales fell off. And in Galatians 6, he writes, see how I write with such large letters? And in Acts 23, he says, you would poke out your eyes at his trial, and he couldn't tell that it was the high priest. 
that was talking to him. Maybe he was blind. Maybe he had high trouble. Why didn't he tell us what it was? I think I know. I think he wanted every one of us to identify with that thorn. And if he would have told us that his thorn was eye trouble, we wouldn't have thought it was so important because we don't have eye trouble. We can see. And we can hear. Uh, But no matter what thorn we have, what we have that's excruciating to us, he is going to give you some lessons on how to live with it and live with it victoriously. And so what is your thorn? What are you living with? What have you thought about as we've been, uh, as we've been talking? Uh, yeah, I know what I thought about when I was preparing the message. I know what I was thinking my thorn was at the time. Uh, still is. It's a handicap we live with. Um, a lot of it is determined by our age or in our experience. Uh, you know, it can come from our parents or our spouses or our children. It can come from the people we work with, from a boss or an employee. Um, sometimes maybe it's a psychological need. Maybe it's an intimacy need that's never been met. Uh, maybe it's a, a thorn that comes and goes. We don't really know a lot about Paul's trouble, except that behind the scenes, he had to handle a limitation that he prayed to be removed so that he could evade it. But somehow or another, Paul learned that he just had to settle down and live with it the rest of his life. It wasn't going away. So how did he handle it? Uh, In verse 8, he begins to tell us, how he handled it. I'm going to read it again. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's a crucial moment when we stand eye to eye with our handicap, with our thorn, because we all have them. Every garden has weeds, every rose has thorns, every life has strife. And your whole life will depend on how you handle it. How do you handle them? You young people back there, how you handle your strife, how you handle your thorns will make all the difference in the world, in in your life. Whether it's an accident or a sickness or broken relationships or missing out on the love you thought you had to have, uh, home life that's not what you wanted it to be, having children that you thought would be a blessing and they turn out to be an agony. Uh, Death happens in your household. How you choose to handle those things will affect the rest of your life on earth. So how do we handle them? I think that Paul gives us here five lessons uh, for how we handle those thorns. The first one is this. Trust that they're not accidents. 
They're not accidents. Uh, God's plan is in place. I'm not saying that God planned for your problems, but His plan is still in place. J.I. Packer is a well-known and loved British theologian and author. He wrote the book, Knowing God, and it has become a bestseller. Perhaps some of you have read his book, Knowing God, when he announced that he had developed macular degeneration, that he was losing his vision, and it was damaged to the point where he could no longer read or write. That was his life. Reading and writing was his life. It was a handicap, but here's what he said. My condition is a clear indication from headquarters. God knows what he's up to. God knows what he's up to. Packer died last year, uh, still serving the Lord in the best ways that he could. Do you believe that what's happened to you uh, are under God's control? Do you believe that his plan is still in place? That's why in verse 7, Paul says that God's thorn has a purpose. In verse 139, I'm Psalm 139, the psalmist says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thoughts from afar. You scrutinize my path. Before there's even a word on my tongue, you know it. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. The psalmist says, you're everywhere. You're everywhere. You know me. You know my hearts. You know my inward hearts. It ends that psalm by saying, search me, Lord, and know me. Search me. You know, nothing comes to us that surprises God. And God uses these thorns in his plans. For, two, for Christians, there's two reasons, I think. Number one... They're correcting. We step out of line and we're disciplined. Uh, I will send you some thorns to correct your behavior. And the second reason, I will send you thorns to perfect you. To perfect you. I want you to be something special. So I'll let this thorn come into your life. The thorn came into Job's life. Uh... And Job says, I know that when I come through this, I will be as pure gold. Pure gold. Charles Spurgeon, you've heard me talk about Spurgeon before. Uh, many believe that Spurgeon was probably the greatest preacher uh, of the Christian era. He was definitely a great preacher in the 1800s. By the time he died, and remember this, this was before microphones and recorders and copiers and all of that. But by the time he died, his sermons were published every week and circled the entire globe, which consisted pretty much of the whole British Empire. He's been called the Prince of Preachers, maybe the best that, that, that has ever been. But about his mid-30s, he began to get sick, and he would have to go to bed and stay there for weeks at a time. Uh, he was so racked with pain that he couldn't even turn over. 
By the time he was 40, his body was so frail that he sailed to France and he would spend three to four months there every year just recovering from the pressures and the stress of his ministry and the fitness of his body. And he would pray, God, why me? Why did this happen to me? Why couldn't I have a healthy body like everyone else? But you know what happened? He would spend those months in France praying and studying his Bible and preparing sermons that he would come back to London and preach. He preached five days a week, three to four times on Sunday. How could he do that? Well, he had all those months in France every year to study. God used that time to prepare him to become the pastor and the preacher that he was. No doubt that that sickness helped make Charles Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon. Handicaps are not an accident. Then Paul says, I learned to say, what an opportunity rather than what if. You know, most of us think, I don't want any insults. I don't want any weaknesses. I don't want any persecutions. I don't want any hardships. But Paul says because he learned how to handle those things, he would delight in them because he learned that each of them was a marvelous opportunity. He stopped praying what if and started praying. What an opportunity this is. Andrew Smith, I know you guys may have heard of him. DK, you may have heard of him. He played basketball for the Butler Bulldogs. He was part of those two final four Butler teams. He, he married his high school sweetheart, Samantha, after his college career, and they moved to Lithuania so he could continue playing basketball. After they got there, he was diagnosed with cancer. Samantha blogged the struggle the couple had with the disease. She blogged it each day. They struggled in their fight for life and their faith. And like Powell, they struggled with the thorn God had given them. Samantha wrote at one point, It's rattled our faith. It's made us question the purpose in the past two years. It has left us feeling completely hopeless. We have screamed and cried, I can't eat or sleep. We struggle to believe that God pulled us through the last two years only to have it end here. But it did end there. They lost that physical struggle. But just before he died, Andrew Smith told CBS Sports, I wasn't put on this earth to go out and play basketball games. I'm on this earth to share a story people can hear. And share it they did. Samantha wrote about that for thousands of readers on her blog. And they used his thorn to bring glory to God and to tell his story. Now, would they rather not have the cancer? Sure. I have no doubt that Paul would rather not have his thorn as well. And he asked God to take it away, take it away, take it away. Three times he said, take it away. But Paul didn't say, what a great apostle I could be if I didn't have this problem. What he said was, God, would you pour your power into me? Would you pour your power into this handicapped life? Power like a thunderstorm? 
of your grace. And I'm convinced that the thorn is what helped make Paul's life the powerful life that it was. Then he says, learn to live your own life. I've noticed that a lot of us, when we have problems, I know a lot of times when I have problems, uh, you know, I know right now when, when I'm sitting down watching a TV show and there's somebody walking normal, I look at that person and I think, man, wouldn't it be nice to walk normal? Wouldn't it be nice not to have to limp along? Uh, so Paul writes and says, you know, don't compare yourself with others. A berry bush is made to produce berries, not apples. God gives us our soil to till. And if our field is not as good as someone else's, we need to quit looking over the fence at theirs and learn to live with what we have. James Dobson, in uh, the first film that they did, a focus on the family film, he told a story about a young boy with lung cancer. And the nurse who was taking care of this child noticed that one day the little boy was talking about hearing bells. And the nurse said to the boy's mother, he's hallucinating, there are no bells. And his mom said, no ma'am, he's not hallucinating. I told him whenever he was frightened, whenever he was having trouble breathing, if he would listen carefully, he would hear the angels ringing the bells of heaven calling for him. That's what he's been talking about all day. And the child died that evening in his mother's arms, listening for the bells of heaven. Live with what you have. And folks, with the grace of Jesus Christ in your life, that's a lot. You have a lot. Recognize that thorns set the stage for spiritual service. Verse 10, he says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Do you ever stop to think that the reason we go through the things that we do, the reasons we have the thorns, is that God gave you a thorn on purpose to make you more effective in his service to his kingdom? I don't think about it that way most of the time. You probably don't think about it that way most of the time. But Paul thought about it that way most of the time. Uh, and I've realized over the years that the difficulties that I've had to put up with in my own life, my own health, my own family, have made me more compassionate towards others, towards the people that I minister to. And I can sit down and cry with them and weep with them because I know what it's like to hurt on the inside like that. That's why God lets us have those things. He wants us to be strong. No matter how perfect a specimen of personhood is in good circumstances, we'll never be able to accomplish some of the things for God that Helen Keller did. You know, John Bunyan... I don't know, have you, have you heard of John Bunyan? John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress, the second best-selling book in the history of the world outside the Bible. He spent 12 years in prison. You know what he was arrested for? Preaching the gospel without a license. He had to have a license to preach. 
um, and he didn't have one. And uh, so he was in prison for 12 years. And he's worried about his family and how they will survive. So you know what he did? He sat down while he was in prison during those 12 years and he wrote The Pilgrim's Progress. That's where it came from. In other words, in the midst of that terrible storm, God set the stage for powerful service. You know, this doesn't relate to, I mean, this, this doesn't compare to that. But just a short time after we moved away from New Mexico to Salt Lake City back in 1998, um, I got a call from one of my best friends in the church in Moriarty. He said, Roger, I've been diagnosed with leukemia, and it's not good. They've given me maybe a year to live. I was devastated. I know he and his family was. The whole church in New Mexico was blown away. But then he said to me, he said, when I die, I want you to come and preach the funeral. Will you do that? What do you say? Nah, Stan, get somebody else, you know. Of course I'll come and preach your funeral. And just a few weeks before he died, when it became obvious that he was on his very last legs, he was barely strong enough to speak. I was talking to him in the phone, and he reminded me of the promise to come and do his funeral. First, I want you to make the gospel very clear, he said, to those who are there. And second, please make sure they know how much fun we had serving the Lord and building his church. So at his funeral, which they had in the city's biggest auditorium, it's Moriarty, it wasn't a great big auditorium, it was the city hall. They had all the, the thing open. Uh, it was the biggest place they had to have a funeral, to have a meeting, because it was way too large for the church. And that funeral was full of the city dignitaries, the school dignitaries, pretty much anyone who is a who's who in the community. And all that I could think of as I was getting ready for that and as I got ready to stand up and preach, please make sure they know how much fun we had. building the church. And Stan was there from the beginning. We, he was there when we had 86 members and he was there when we had 500 members. He had been there through the whole thing. He says, remember, help people know how much fun we had and make sure the gospel is plain. So I used Stan's thorn to preach the gospel and share the fun to people who, that may be the only time they've ever heard it. What is your thorn? Maybe it's God's plan for you to do something meaningful. Don't miss it. And then the last thing, find strength in God's grace when there's energy enough when things get tough. Those first four lessons could apply to anyone almost anywhere. But Paul says, as important as they all are, it's not the secret of my success. 
The secret comes in the spiritual dimension of grace that God pours into my life. God pours in it when I need it the most. And this grace that God pours into my life in the midst of my thorn, that's what makes me victorious. Paul says, God said to me, my grace is sufficient. Would you say that with me? My grace is sufficient. One more time. It's God speaking, okay? My grace is sufficient. You know, that's probably one of the deepest lessons we'll ever learn in our spiritual life. The appropriating God's grace is an inward thing. It always takes place on the inside. In the midst of tribulation and trouble, God begins to pour his power in. And internal things that come from spiritual growth and practice and maturity, that no matter what happens in our circumstances, we can stand victorious because his grace is always sufficient. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, pastor, but you don't know my problem. Man, have I got problems. God just doesn't handle problems as big as mine. Boy, if you knew how big my problem was, I don't think there's enough grace in the world for my problem. When I was a teenager in high school, my dad went to a school board convention in Atlantic City. They were in an Atlantic Atlantic City hotel. And uh, he was there with a friend, another school board member there from Aztec, who was an old farmer, lived on a farm outside of town about 10 miles. Uh, maybe had never even been outside of Aztec and Durango area. And there he was in Atlantic City, and they were getting ready for their first meeting. And uh, my dad went in to take the first shower. And he said, He'd been in the shower for a few minutes and the old farmer knocked on the door and said, Ted, don't use up all the hot water. (laughs) You know, there was enough hot water in that hotel to give 10,000 showers. And he was worried about one shower being too much. But you know, God's grace is that way. It's more than enough for your problem, for your life. But God doesn't just slop that grace all over you. Have you ever noticed that? He doesn't just slop that grace all over you, giving you more than you need. He says, I will give you what you need. I will make my grace sufficient. I promise. Spurgeon one time was asked, if you knew that you would be burned as a martyr at 12 o'clock noon tomorrow on the village square, are you ready? Spurgeon said, well, no. Not now, I'm not. But tomorrow at 12 noon, I'll be ready. Because you see, God only gives martyrs grace to martyrs. He gives preachers grace to preachers. He gives school teacher grace to school teachers. He gives contractors grace to contractors. You understand what I'm saying? He gives us the grace that we need. But let any one of those people, a nurse, a preacher, a builder, a teacher, a husband, a wife, a student, let them, any of them, become a martyr. And God would give us martyr's grace. 
He gives us the grace that is sufficient. Just one closing word of encouragement. I know I've gone a little bit long, but I want to I share one word of encouragement. In Psalm 56, 8, there's an there's a, uh, interesting phrase. The psalmist says, You have taken account of my wanderings. You've put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Do you know that God saves your tears? Do you know that? Whenever there's something happening in your life, God saves your tears. And you know what I think he does with them? Now, this is just all supposition. Four times in the Bible, when it talks about the throne of God, he talks about a great crystal sea in front of the throne of God. I think he makes that sea out of our tears. That he takes our tears and he uses them for his glory and for his throne. So be encouraged. Nothing's out of control. God is working his plan. And no matter how severe things may seem, just when you feel like you're weak, then you're strong. Because God said, I will pour in my thunderstorm of power and my grace will be sufficient in every situation. Be encouraged. Because the same Jesus Christ who gave Paul his thorn gave us ours. And it's the same Jesus Christ who once wore a crown of thorns that promises life forevermore. Thank you, God.